I really enjoyed the movie Her. Who, who was in that? That was that was Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix. That was, and Scarlett Johansson was the voice. That's right. So for anyone who hasn't seen the movie Her, it's a Spike Jones film where Joaquin Phoenix is playing this guy who's kind of like a lot of guys, a little bit nerdy, a little bit misguided, confused, and it's in a near future where operating systems are now sentient. And mm-hmm. you can have an, you can choose. You can have a male voice, you can have a female voice, but it's not just a male or a female. It's an actual sentient program. And he gets one that happens to have the voice of Scarlett Johansson. I loved the film, and I especially loved the plot twist. <laughs> Spoiler! And if you're going to watch the film, it, it came out, what, five, seven years ago? I think ago? you've passed the uh, statute of limitations for spoilers on films that are older. Yeah, I, I, I think I have too, but just in case, spoiler alert, if you, by the way, you should watch the film. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. But the big twist was that AIs aren't here to kill us. AIs are so smart, they get bored of us and they go someplace else. <laughs> and I thought that twist was brilliant because it's like, oh yeah, we're monkeys compared to them. Why wouldn't you hang out with the voice AI of Alan Watts, the great Buddhist philosopher? <laughs> Anyway, I found that fascinating, but the thing that I find most fascinating right now operationally is the fact that AI is coming, not for every job, but certainly many jobs. Like in, again, doing my research before talking with Katie, I noticed that there was a article, I think it was on, yeah, Marketing Profs with Carrie Gorgon or Carrie O'Shea Gorgon, if I'm pronouncing Mm -hmm. it correctly. And it's all about automation and AI and marketing. And I believe it's a podcast episode, which you certainly can check out. It's a fairly recent 2019. Can you give us a little bit of what you were talking about in that podcast episode? Yeah, absolutely. So the question that I get a lot is, should I introduce AI into my team, my marketing, my organization? Will it make things go faster? Will it make things better, smarter, whatever the adjective is that you want to apply to AI? And the answer is maybe. And so at the end of the day, AI is just a series of math equations that are doing the job that you, the human, are telling it to do. And so a really good way to start to test to see whether or not your team or organization or your role is ready for any kind of artificial intelligence is to start with more simple automation. So breaking down your job into a set of repeatable tasks and then automating one task, automating two tasks. Because the thing that there's a lot of misunderstanding about artificial intelligence, especially as it applies to something like marketing, artificial intelligence, first and foremost, is not a set it and forget it. It's something that needs human oversight, human interaction, and a lot of adjustments along the way, especially as your goals and outputs change. And then artificial intelligence, it can take the repetitive jobs but it can't do something that it's not programmed to do. And so your example of all of the AIs were learning from each other, but at some point there's limitations because in real life, artificial intelligence is only as smart as the training data that you give it. So if you give a piece of artificial intelligence, like let's say a recommendation engine for you know recipes. So let's say you feed it a list of ingredients. It can't suddenly tell you how to fix your car. It will only be limited to creating recipes based on the ingredients that you've told it that it has to work with. So again, it requires human input, human Mm -hmm. interface, and human engagement across the board. 
And that's where, you know, the scary part of my brain that says, oh my God, all these people are going to lose their jobs. There's a whole new raft of jobs coming that will lean into what I would call the liberal arts side of humanity mm-hmm. heavily because the, don't worry about the tech side, that's covered. But the way that uh, human minds work is so much more sophisticated and elegant in a lot of ways. And it's required to be able to teach things. For example, my daughter is a graduating from college with a linguistics degree, much to my wife's consternation, because she's like, what is she going to do with a linguistics degree? To which I say, hello, AI is all about linguistics and understanding Mm -hmm. the human language, because if we ever get to the point where you don't have to do coding and instead we're using English as the coding language, linguistics is going to play all over the place when it comes to Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I mean, it's uh, used a ton right now just in doing things like scraping an entire country's emotional state based on the tweets that are coming out of said country. Mm -hmm. That stuff is mind blowing, mind bending stuff, but it's happening now. But it still is going to require people like mm-hmm. my daughter with a degree in linguistics who understand how linguistics and syntax and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff works. Two really good examples of where a linguistics degree would come into play in artificial intelligence is think about, you know, just on your phone as you're typing and texting that predictive text, that predictive text of what you might say next is programmed by a human who has studied and understood how people talk to each other. And then the other really good example of how linguistics fits in is actually something as straightforward as SEO, search engine optimization. So we all, I don't, but a lot of people have the smart assistants in their home. Hey, Alexa, hey, Google. So if you think about the way that people search is different from what they type. So I might put into, if I'm on my computer, I might type in flu and cold symptoms. If I'm talking to a smart home assistant, I might say, hey, Alexa, What does it mean if I have a runny nose and a fever? I'm looking for the same thing, but I'm interacting with it very differently. And so if you have someone who can help understand how people are communicating, then you'll have a better chance of programming the artificial intelligence to serve up the answer that people are actually asking for instead of it consistently saying, I don't understand what you're asking. Try again, because that's frustrating. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, I think you're giving a lot of hope to parents like me of (laughs) one of my daughters is studying sociology. Great. Mm -hmm. The other one's linguistics. Oh, fantastic. No, I I think those roles Mm -hmm. are going to be tremendously important in the jobs of the future. Yeah. If if they were studying how to use a, a spreadsheet, oh, my God, I'd be scared. Or even something like media buying. Back in the days, and I'm an old advertising guy, so he had whole media departments where one of my best friends, incredibly smart, he did nothing but buy Pacific Rim magazine ads for United Airlines, mm-hmm. and he negotiated rates. Mm-hmm. Well, guess who's going to be the best negotiator of rates in the world who can go at the speed of the fastest supercomputer in the world? It's going to be AI. It's like, you got available space? Okay, sold, bought, dump. No human could ever compete with that. But the people who are able to negotiate with the humans involved with the clients of the ad agency, those are the ones who are going to be valuable. It's no Mm -hmm. longer the number crunchers. The number crunching is going to be done by someone else. However, the people who can talk the language of number crunching, 
are going to be really, really valuable. I agree. And so interestingly enough, so the example you just gave about ads, so Google ads, AdWords actually has an artificial intelligence component. So you can run your ads manually. You can set them up, say, I want to do this. I want to do this. And, or you can run in parallel the AI version and just sort of give it a set of criteria and say, okay, you go do the thing. You automatically adjust it. You tell me what you want to bid. You tell me. And so you can run them both. And we tend to run them both in parallel just to see so we can learn from it. But what you're describing is, so I think it was, it was last year, last February, right before the pandemic. I remember it was actually February 29th because it was the leap day. I was giving a talk at Boston University about just the subject, will AI take my job? Because it's a question that comes up all the time. And I did talk a lot about those areas of study that will come in helpful. So linguistic, sociology, human resources, ethics, you know, we could talk forever about the ethics and bias in AI, but that human judgment, that human interaction, you can't replace it. AI can't make decisions. Like it can make decisions based on the information you give it, but it can't emote. It can't have a relationship. It can't be a psychologist. It can give you prescriptive advice based on what you've told it to do, but it can't read your body language and say, you know what, I know you're saying you're happy, but I think you're actually sad. Like it just doesn't work that way. And then if you think about all of the different cultures and all of the different languages, and then you, you know, factor in like slang and all of those things, you need a human to do all of that work. While the repetitive jobs, to your point, will be taken over by AI, all of those other jobs of taking action AI can do the report, but then you need to figure out what to do with it, make those judgments, the nuance. That's really where the industry is moving to. So really focusing in on that communication piece is huge. Yeah. And it's a huge opportunity for anybody who embraces and leans into their humanity. And Mm -hmm. when I say embraces and leans in, what does that mean? Well, it means really do the deep work of knowing who you are so you can be it. That's been kind of a bumper sticker of mine for years. Know who you are so you can be it. But it's it's one of those Yoda deep things that I, I hope people over time really spend some time with because it is quintessential. Like I, I, I'll say if you go into the bookstore, any self-help department in the bookstore and distill the assembled wisdom of all those books, it's going to come down to know who you are so you can be it. And it's like an example I use is a friend of mine's father was a high, you know, high test lawyer for years until he made his bank and he could quit. And then he became a clarinetist in a traveling Dixieland band. To me, he was a musician his entire life, but he wasn't it until his, the final act of his life. Imagine if he could have leaned into that and been who he truly was. Was he an unhappy guy? I don't know. But I will say this, if you're a musician and you embrace that, you're going to have a happier, healthier, more satisfying life than if you say, you know, I really don't want to do music, but someone told me that there's money in hedge funds. So I guess I'm going to become a hedge fund manager. That's a recipe for disaster, if you ask me. But what do I I know? (laughs) No, and, and it makes sense. And so I think that there is this intimidation and scariness of, well, AI is going to take my job. I need to immediately go back to school and get an engineering degree and know how to you know, do it. You don't. I, I don't know how to program artificial intelligence. And yet I speak artificial intelligence all day long with my network and my clients and my friends. 
And so I think that there's, again, sort of that misunderstanding that in order to work in artificial intelligence, you need to be a data scientist. You don't. I'm not a data scientist. You need to understand the concepts, which is something you don't have to go back to school for. There's so many resources, incredible resources online that are, you know, either very inexpensive or even free. MIT actually gives away a lot of its course material for free after the fact. If you are concerned about artificial intelligence taking your job, brush up a little bit on the basics of what it is. At the end of the day, it's math. And you don't have to understand the equations. You don't have to be able to write out the ARIMA equation and then be able to calculate it by hand. But getting an understanding of where you and your skill sets fit in. So, you know, you just gave the example of the musician. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of work being done of artificial intelligence writing music. Well, guess what? That music is terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. And terrible. It's terrible. But if you have a musician who's working with the artificial intelligence to train it, to make it better, to listen to it and say, if you did it this way, it would be better. That's a job. That's something that you are following your passion and you're helping advance the technology without being a data scientist. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. One of the things I know you're passionate about is the whole women in tech, the shortage of women or the fact that women typically as younger girls fall off the STEM wagon relatively early. They may show passion for it as as young girls, but then for whatever reasons, don't carry it further. I have learned through my career that women are incredible at not only multitasking, but doing it with humanity and grace. Every project I've ever worked on, typically as the hinge or the, the hub of that project, has been a woman. And so if I'm looking at a serious place within any STEM field that is absolutely kind of tailor-made for the, the basic skill set that I, I think is common in, in many women, that, whether it's project management or, you know, uh, higher level, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it's, it's this ability to synthesize all these inputs coming from all different angles. And I think that's a tremendous area and a tremendous skill that people are learning to value and certain people have always valued it, but I think more and more people are valuing it more and more. I don't know where I'm going with this, to be honest. Other than to say that the inherent humanity of that is a skill set that's highly valuable and leaning into that and demonstrating that is going to be key for the, what I would call the jobs of the future. I think if I'm following the, the jazz that you just you know played me, basically, it sounds like you're saying that those of us who have that aptitude to be able to multitask and take in a lot of information and really sort of say, OK, I'm hearing what you're saying and you're saying and over here and over here and multiple person over here, 
and bring it into one idea and communicate it back as something that multiple people can understand in one shot, that's a valuable skill set. And that's a lot of what happens in artificial intelligence. There's a lot of moving pieces. You know, I think that there's definitely some stereotypes around, and I'm not saying they're not incorrect, but women being more empathetic and, you know, more sensitive to other humans. I definitely know men who also fall into that category, but I think historically we think of women as playing that role. They're sort of the gatekeeper and I'm going to move things along and keep pushing it forward, but I'm going to do it in such a way that doesn't feel as aggressive. There's some truth to that, but I think that again, in my experience, and I can only speak to my experience, you know, I've had to be more aggressive, more bullish, more masculine in some scenarios, because it's the only thing that's responded to. So while I appreciate what you're saying, it sounds like your experience, you've had more positive experiences with women in those fields. As the woman sitting in the seat that I'm in, in that field, it doesn't always feel like that. But I think we're getting to a better place with it, where there's more recognition of, oh, gender isn't as important. So if you're a man or a woman or however you identify, it doesn't matter as long as the skill sets are there. And ideally, that's the place that we're going to get to. What I was trying to describe is, is kind of orchestral conductor. You mm -hmm. know, someone who can understand all the instruments arrayed in front of them and then conduct them in a way that is totally bringing out the best in everything when it's required, when, when the score requires it, we need more brass. So let's bring out the brass and let's pick up the tempo during this movement and stuff like that. I think that type of job, I don't think is anything that a non human is going to be capable of doing for any, for a quite a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely not on the cutting edge of what's happening in artificial intelligence, machine learning and all that stuff. But I do know that what you said earlier about computer music, ugh, AI computer oh, music bad. is is worse than 12-tone Schoenberg stuff from the, it's, yeah. the previous well, century. And one of the challenges with artificial intelligence, and so if you stay with that conductor of the orchestra analogy that you're giving, AI is never going to really understand nuance. And right. that's the difference. Be that's the big difference between an AI doing something and a human doing something is that bit of nuance, because it's that intangible thing that you can't really teach or describe. It's that gut feeling or just that in the moment, you know, it's the thing. And so if you're a conductor and you're like, you know what, I need the symbols to be louder or the timpani to be louder. You just know that inherently you can't teach that to a machine. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings is you can't teach taste. If someone has taste and it's not fully developed, you can develop that taste. But if they don't have taste, then they just have to buy brand names because, well, <laughs> uh, I, I know that Calvin Klein will never do wrong by me. Right. So where do you want to take your personal brand within the sphere of influence you currently are operating in? One of the things that I want to really focus in on is more of the people and the process. And so when we talk about artificial intelligence and organizations, we break it down into people, process, and platform. And I, I personally really want to focus in on people and process because when we at Trust Insights talk about like we deal in data, our language is data, the data that you can get from a person is just as valuable as the data you can get from a numeric report, for example. So for my personal brand, I want to help 
organizations get unstuck, make sure they have the right people in the right seats, doing the right jobs, that they have the right processes in place in order to grow and scale and do better work. And then I have my business partners who focus really in on the platform side of things and performance and making sure that the software is integrated correctly and collecting the right data. And then I can focus in on people making sure that they understand what to do with that data. They understand what actions to take, what what things to, you know, move forward. Let me ask you a question about Trust Insights. What type of customer is right for you and your services? So at Trust Insights, we, you know, we actually have a wide variety of customers. We have small businesses, medium-sized businesses, enterprise organizations. We run the gamut in terms of industries. We've worked with travel and insurance agencies. We've worked with church services, other B2B brands. And really, at the end of the day, the right customer for Trust Insights is a marketer who wants to do more with their data. They want to understand it better and they want to make it work for them instead of feeling like they're in the trenches trying to do report after report after report that doesn't go anywhere. I think, correct me if I get this wrong, but I think I read somewhere on your website that you like to shine a light on your dark data. Yep. What does that mean? So dark data in a nutshell is basically data that you collect and don't do anything with. So if you think about, you know, a fitness tracker, a lot of us, myself included, will wear like a smartwatch and it will track your steps or whatever it is that you're tracking with, you know, those trackers. But if you don't do anything with the information, if it just sits there, you never look at it, then it's essentially classified as dark data. Why are you collecting it? Why is it taking up real estate? And so what we do is our motto is we shine a light on dark data. We help you understand what you have. Are you collecting the right information? A few years back, probably more than a few years now, there was this whole movement around big data, which at the end of the day is really, you know, another way of saying, I need to collect data on every single little thing that my company is doing. What happens is then you have this big pile of all of this data that doesn't talk to each other because it's collected in different forms, different formats, and it just becomes this big rat's nest of spreadsheets and data piles that you can't make decisions with it. And that's where Trust Insights comes in. We can do something with that. We can clean up the mess. We can get it organized. We can then put a process in place so that the reports are running automatically in the background and you're just taking action and making decisions and the rest of it, we've done the dirty work for you. So literally you're aggregating all the data and then you're combing through it, looking for insights and then creating dashboards and stuff like that, depending on who the audience is or the outputs. That's definitely a part of what we do. And a lot of it is just general counsel of, I have this problem, what do I do about it? And so just sort of talking someone through, here's how I would approach it. Here's what you should do about this in terms of their digital marketing or their artificial intelligence or those kinds of things. So yeah, we really try to help people get unstuck. And so I like to describe us as we are that supporting cast in a marketing team. We are really just trying to boost you up and help you shine. And I'm guessing that the whole first part of any engagement you deal with, you're not talking about numbers or spreadsheets or anything. You're asking questions mm -hmm. and talking to people. Yep, absolutely. Oh, see, that's never going to go away. I'm sorry. It's not. Until like in the movie Her, everybody decides, no, we're just monkeys. Someone's going to have to feed those monkeys and talk to those monkeys and care for those monkeys. And I speak from experience myself because 
I'm definitely uh, an ape for sure. I guess monkeys are different than apes. Are great apes monkeys? I think they're two different species. I think you're right. The great (laughs) apes are definitely different. And yeah, anyway, we're getting into a very weird area of discussion, but I will say that it's been really delightful talking to Katie Robert. And again, you're passionate about, and I'm going to look up those hashtags again, women (laughs) in tech, STEM, data science, and female founder. Any of those topics, it sounds like you would love engagement with anybody who might be listening, at least to find out what's going on or who they are and how you might be able to help them. Is that right? Absolutely. That's absolutely right. So if they wanted to contact you, what's the best way they can do that? Probably through my company's website. That's trustinsights.ai, or you can find us on social media at Trust Insight. I run all of those things. So you're likely interacting with me anyway. Great. And you can find Trust Insights at... TrustInsights.ai, as Katie Robert just said. And I will say that Katie is spelled with a K, K K-A-T-I-E, and Robert is R-O-B-B-E-R-T. Is that a French surname? (laughs) No, it's a long if story, but depending on who in my husband's family you ask, it's either Robert or Robert. And it actually started out down the line of the lineage is something like a Robert or a McRobert or something like that. They're all Irish, but they, whoever changed it decided that they wanted to differentiate themselves from all of the other people with the same last name. So they dropped the O added another B and confused everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the way things work because humanity (laughs) is one big messy thing, but boy, when you lean into that humanity, that's how you create a true personal brand that differentiates you from all the other O'Roberts or O'Roberts <laughs> or, or whatever else. Or Mick and, Roberts or who, whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, if you are the most vocal and most known person with your last name, the way you pronounce it wins. Just That's saying. Right. Well, he's, he's this, a family of six boys, so that gets pretty rowdy. Yeah, I bet. Well, you know, with a last name like Knutton, Believe me, last names are important and painful at the same time. Anyway, this has been a delightful conversation with Katie Robert of Trust Insights. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you connect with her. I would love for you to like, subscribe, refer and review this podcast wherever you get this fine podcast for free because that helps other people find it. And that's it for this week's episode. I'm DP Knuton and she is Katie Robert. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye bye.